Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio, episode 10 for Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT service management community, or as we like to call it, the fastest 30 minutes in service management radio. I am here today with Troy Dumoulin. Troy, how are you? Hey, Chris, I'm doing pretty good. How are you today? You know, it's crazy. It's good. I feel like it's been forever since we've recorded. It's been a month. What's going on? Well, you know, it, it has been. And uh, for both of us, it's May and June, and I don't see it stopping in the foreseeable future. It's been just nuts. This interest in service management seems to be going through the roof. Yeah. It, it definitely, I mean, someone said to me the other day, he goes, well, what's happening? And it was Blair, actually. Blair, Blair there at Pink Elephant tweeted, what's going on with all this sudden surge? And I tweeted back to him, it's just like life. There's a natural ebb and flow. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. And you never know where you're going to find yourself waking up. I mean, you've been into Brazil, you've been in Ottawa, you guys have, you've been traveling everywhere, and I've been a few places myself. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm still trying to recover. <laughs> So uh, we we need like an, we need a some type of plan some type of plan to mitigate the risk for when you and I aren't available. What would we even consider calling that? Uh, maybe an IT service continuity plan, or in this case, continuity plan. There's no IT about this side. An IT. An IT service con. Now this sounds like exactly where we left off on the last podcast. Indeed, it was. You know, I've given up on cloning, so we'll have to come up with some kind of plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, cloning or cloning, cloning you and I would not be a good thing. Um, now, I was reading your blog, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And I guess the first time I ever heard of the word continuity, I was probably a, a wee lad, maybe maybe a preteen of some sort. And I was in a movie with my father, and he said to me afterwards, he goes, "Did you catch the mistakes in continuity?" And I said to him, "What are you talking about?" And, and that's when he explained to me that. You know, movies aren't shot scene for scene, one right after another. They're shot all over the time. And sometimes there might be like a glass in one scene, and in the next scene, the glass is gone. And it's someone's job in theater uh, who manages continuity to go back and make sure all those little elements are always there so it seems seamless. Now, is there any correlation to that and what you consider continuity management? Well, in a sense, continuity is the flow, right? The continued flow. How do we ensure that... When stuff happens, we have uh, we have a plan to keep going. I mean, life deals us stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you got a movie that's in it's in parts. We've got we've got projects that get stopped and started because of you know other things intervening. We've got life plans that you know we've got to have a we have a plan in place that when we do get interruptions, both planned and unplanned, we've we have some basis for ensuring there's a continuity of flow, continuity of thought, a continuity of purpose. And yeah, I mean, the movie has to show continuity from the plot perspective, right? From right. the beginning to the end. Well, it's funny because since, since my father told me that, I watch every movie now and I've become really good at picking up like, oh, that wasn't there two seconds ago, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, people are always like, you're very odd that way. I'm like, oh, I blame my father. <laughs> well, now you've blown it for me, Chris. I'll be looking for that misplaced glass now. Yes, it's, it happens all the time. People, the clothes change all of a sudden. Um, now, when I, I read through the blog and... I have to be honest with you. This seems like something, you know, you'd have to be a really mature organization to get your hands around. But I have a feeling that maybe anyone can really 
get their hands around understanding it. Well, in, in essence, you know, we have always had the responsibility of holding up our part of the bargain in the event of a disaster, right? Mm. So in essence, you know, we've always had our part to play in holding up the bargain. If, you know, IT is that partner, we, we've got to be able to support and deliver services even in the event of a disaster recovery. Right. Right. So that's, that is a, a part for any organization of any flavor, any maturity to do. And most, right. because of compliance issues, have to think about it at some level. Uh, it's just what level and how effective it is that is different, very different from organization to organization. Mature is about you know how ingrained is it in, as a process versus a, a task or an action list. Correct. So you remember, this is where Chris gets to learn live in front of people. So, so if I have an organization and they've got DR in place, a disaster recovery, um, is are, are those DR plans and that DR process and all, is that part of continuity management? Is that, help me. It is. It's a part. Okay. It's a part. Let's kind of step back for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Help, help me, Troy. This is, this right. is where I, I miss you. <laughs> all right. So... You know, let's go back to this flow concept. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a service that we're providing, mm-hmm. if we're an organization where we have dependents l- looking to us, especially if we're a critical infrastructure type service, and I mean that in the context of you know life and welfare, such as you know we have we have to have a government to help us run, so called. Uh, we need we need medical. Uh, capabilities. We need uh, the ability to have transportation. These are these are critical services, right? So we can't afford to let either a natural or non-natural disaster interrupt the flow. Life must go on. So we've got to do certain things to put in place certain activities to say, even in the event of a disaster, here's the plan, how we're going to pick up the pieces and keep going forward. Maybe not in a full service capability, but at some level that you know, is not dead stopped. So this business continuity, keeping you know, keeping the business going, right. is is a big part of it. Now, you know, back to a few more of our conversations in the past. You know, we we talked about risk last time. And this is where it comes in. You know, there is no business process, no outcome that doesn't have now some digital aspect to it, right? When it all comes down to it, there's some digital data bits that are supporting the business process. Yep. So if that's true then a whole major part of business continuity is the IT service continuity component because that's one of the underlying elements for ongoing flow. The data has to be maintained and, and, and retained and protected for future use. The difference here uh, is what happens often is that IT is supposed to be a partner in this business continuity planning, BCP, right? From a business perspective, we're just, we just have one small part to play. But often what happens is the organization itself, the business organization itself, hasn't come to that level of thinking. Yeah. They're more about, you know, David just tweeted a, a comment I made in a paper, survival always trumps strategy. You know, that that's true, right? We, we've got to get survival first, but in the end, we still have to survive even in the event of a disaster. It's a Maslow thing, right? You know, Maslow said there's a hierarchy of needs we have and uh, maybe business just doesn't climb up it as fast as IT. And so what happens in that context is well, IT, by compliance, has to do its part. So it comes to the business and says, okay, we want to build your disaster recovery capability from a technical perspective. And while it should be being driven from the business down, mm. in my experience, Chris, it's often being driven as an initial conversation anyway from IT up. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's just my experience. And, you know, especially this is such a timely conversation because I think in the past, at least for myself, 
you know, disasters were always natural. But, you know, you look at some of the civil unrest around the globe, and I remember there were people talking about they had outsourced different pieces of their business to Egypt right before Egypt had its civil unrest. And, and you know, how could they have possibly had planned for that? So, you know, just the global nature of this is, is a whole probably podcast on its own. But I guess, have you ever been a part or, or have, have you consulted or have you been a part of businesses who actually went through these types of conversations? Oh, absolutely. And it tends to ebb and flow based on what's currently happening. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a reality. When Katrina hit, everyone was talking IT service continuity, right? <laughs> everyone. I, do, I mean, I'm not laughing at Katrina. I mean, you're right. We, we wait till it knocks us on the head. All right. Sorry. Yeah. But we have this other element of human nature is we have very short memories. So give us six months and all of those projects and funded activities are you know, pretty much gone. I was in Omaha, Nebraska last week and uh, I was working with a client there and they were saying, well, our senior sponsors wanted to be at this meeting, but they're down the river because we have a data center about to float away. You know, mm. when, it, when it, we tend to think about it when it's too late, you know, it's over when the, the issue is over. Uh, we tend to focus and prioritize on it only after you know the incident. We've been knocked over the head, as you said a moment ago. You know, the more practitioner radios I have with you, the more I realize IT really is just a microcosm of human nature. <laughs> yeah, it's all human nature, right? <laughs> we, it, all, all, all things are potentially good, but the survival trumps, you know, the strategy. So, when you've been a part of these talks, and and thank you for shedding light on the fact that people, because I didn't realize that. To, but you're right, it makes sense. They would wait until they need to talk about it. The, to me, I, my first thought is that would be a really sobering conversation to have with anyone. I mean, that's, that's you talk about scary stuff. Yeah, we're, we're talking, and this is not availability. Availability is building by design into your environment enough you know, robustness and redundancy that it can take a hit and keep going, right? Right. But this is when all things that we have planned have failed, and we have to get into a new capability, an alternate capability in a non-planned way. Well, planned in the sense we've got a plan, but you know what? This is not day-to-day operations. Even when we have fully redundant data centers, this is not just higher availability. This is when the disaster is hit, we have an alternate plan than we've built in preparation for this disaster. Right. Yeah, I know with some of the snowstorms, and, and, and you know, I, I sometimes myself suffer from thinking of uh, IT or especially service management with just the the technical pieces, it's, it's a fallacy I have. I, I forget the people often, although I talk about them all the time. Well, we could make a, a really funny joke there, but we won't. <laughs> but I remember when some of the snowstorms were going on, they had plans around, well, you know, if this happens, you work from home and this is how you do this, this and this. So not only do you have technical components, data centers floating down, but you have human components. Do you also have well, I guess I'll ask, are there human components? Well, absolutely, because we could put the whole technical service back up and running, but if there's nobody to actually use it, then well, what's the point, right? Wow. And, and not just human components, but facilities components and transportation components. Um, the whole system of, of service delivery from a business IT combined concept has to be enabled through this plan. That's why business continuity planning drives IT service continuity planning. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. Because <laughs> I actually believe you that it usually comes from IT up. It just, it, it, yeah, I could see yeah. where, because I don't know, it seems like every day I'm starting to realize maybe business is IT. So here's a line, you know, here's, here's a desk. Oh, no, no one's sitting in that desk. I think we forgot something. Yeah, amazing. 
So let's let's get into the nuts and bolts of this. Yep. When you're looking at uh, a business continuity strategy, um, it's one thing for me to have my head around understanding the IT department, the IT department, and all the components that make up all the different services that we delivered. If I go back to our service catalog chat that we did, uh, or our problem management, where we were looking at systems and grouping them together, I mean, it's one thing for me to really get my head around all that. But from a business, are, are you now asking me to work diligently to understand what we actually, I mean, business systems is a whole nother, you know, let's pretend we make orange juice, right? So, you know, there might not be a lot of IT, uh, you know, with the uh, people peeling on the line, but. But the thing is the people aren't on the line. I, I, there are certain things I don't understand about the production of orange juice, but I could probably figure out their IT. Well, even think about the line though, that manufacturing line. There's very few people actually peeling oranges or squeezing oranges anymore, right? There are people who are watching technical components of the line, which are more than just hydraulic manufacturing technology. Mm-hmm. They're connected through applications, through through networks, through data feed. There is, you know, even in the most manufacturing basic concept of of output, technology dependencies. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean that's and that's why IT service continuity is so important. Maybe we can start back and see how we can evolve. Yeah. I think because we, we made a comment in the last session I want to kind of pick up. Yeah. It was Martin. We were talking with Martin about event management, remember? Great guy. Love the bow tie. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's coming to the office this week. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Yay. Anyway, uh, we were talking about, okay, when does an event actually become an incident? Because they're not synonymous. Right. And then when does an incident grow up one day to actually be called a crisis? And where's the where's the trigger that actually makes that delineation and who makes that call and what do you do at each level? Well, now we're at that crisis, you know, something that we put in place where all of our best laid plans of mice and men have failed. Even our high redundancy available environments have, we've, we've had, we've got to abandon it all and go to a different ship. What we usually find, and I think we talked about this actually earlier, uh, is that organizations usually mature in a project basis first before they ever become interested in management generally, and especially service management. Remember that conversation, Chris, we had that we have a project-based culture? Yeah, no, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, so what typically happens in a project-based culture, which is where most technically-focused shops are, is, you know what, we we pretty much, when we do projects, have a a part of our project plan that is dedicated to the disaster recovery component. Because that's, you know, one thing we think about when we're building a new design, the, the DR component. So we'll have in the work breakdown structure, the project manager is carefully you know, governing, well, we've got to have the, the alternate environment, we've got to have the technical components in that reciprocal data center, and oh yeah, we've got to go a bit further than that. We need the recovery procedures, we need to know, uh, what, you know what access and rights management things we have to rebuild over here. So we got the whole system thinking in the project. So we, we get that done. We check off that aspect of the project plan and we go live and we go live with both the production capability and also the DR, disaster recovery capability. Done. Now, so you've probably been pro- like part of projects where that's been you know, discussed. Yes. But here's a question, and it's not rhetorical. How long does that production capability now uh, go before it changes? Not very long. Right. <laughs> that day? A, a second. Yeah. That second, right? Yeah. Um, and so when we use it in a project, we go live and, and for many organizations, that's it. It's stopped. What happens though, as the production environment continues to change as is normal, right. but we haven't, we haven't updated any of the disaster recovery capability, not just the technical, but even the procedures for describing how to bring up the system. 
you know, what happens over time? What what does your DR capability truly look like in six months after you've gone live with your project? What do you think? Well, it we haven't talked about it, but do we start to go back to all the other processes and say, when this happens, have some component of that process say, make sure you check the DR documentation and update it if appropriate? I mean, do all these things become interconnected at that point? Well, yeah. Think of a, a release, right? Is all of the elements related to the release package. Right. And that's both hardware, software, people, documentation, training. Well, part of the release package is also, should be, the disaster recovery components. Right. And when we did, because we did a podcast on release. Absolutely. Okay. This is making sense now. This is where we go next. So what happens is, in a project-oriented world, our whole DR premise is a bit of a fallacy. Hmm. Because God forbid a disaster happens when I haven't updated my disaster recovery capability. <laughs> yeah, because we, we told everybody we were ready, we have the plan, there's a data center over there full of stuff, but the reality is how accurate is it as a reflection of the true production environment. Right. And if you had to do some soul searching, most of us would think, oh my God, you know, not very. Right. So we, we you know, by compliance though, Chris, we've got this testing thing we've got to do. So, but my experience though, is before the plan test there's a little mini update project to update the disaster recovery environment before I test, ah. and then I test. So that's the real world part of practitioner radio right there. So yeah. there's always a little... So when it comes to testing, I actually was uh, on site uh, with a customer once I was putting in a help desk, and they actually were doing a, a, a test. And, you know, it was literally they were completely failing over to completely different sets of systems during production hours because that's what they wanted to do to make sure it all worked. And I thought, that's kind of extreme. Why don't you, like you know, fail over or do your testing after hours or something. And a brilliant, brilliant lady. I remember, can't remember her name actually, but I uh, remember her hair. She had great hair. But uh, she said to me, well, this would be a, a more accurate test, don't you think? And I'm like, well, test of my patients if I was a user. I mean, is there such a thing as, as a good time to test? I know that might not be on the same line of thinking you were, but it just kind of invoked that memory. Well, we don't normally see people testing during production. The, the test is really to, to to verify that our capability is is capable and up to date, right? And that we actually can fail over. That doesn't have to happen in production. Um, okay. But that's, I mean, that's an interesting philosophy she had. But we did it. I mean, they did it and they were successful. And there was a little hiccup and... It was almost like uh, one of those, I don't know if they have this in Canada, I hate to be ignorant, but here you're, the radios will make this high-pitched sound and it'll say, if this had been an actual emergency, you would have been told where to tune to. And it actually did one of those for, the, for their users and said, hey, we're going to do this next week. And they did some lead up to it. And um, it, looking back in hindsight now, it was brilliant because it really brought a lot of, uh, now through my older uh, Chris's 42 eyes, I go, you know, she was smart because it really shed a lot of light on what IT did, whether people wanted that light or not. Well, the business certainly had to be involved in that test, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not decrying it, it's just not common. Yeah, I, I, my, my, my first and only experience was that. The fact is that they, you know, they, you know, did they have to update their environment before they failed over? You know, if you, many of the listeners actually had to think about it, who, you know, how many of us actually do that little mini update project before we do the so-called test? Well, I would think everybody, because even I... I mean, if we talk about our personal IT systems, right, we've got our computers and our laptops and everything. Even I, when back before I became a Mac person in last fall, if I wanted to go from one system to a new system, because that's what you do with Windows, you start over every three months, uh, there's a lot of planning. Do you have this file? Do you have that? Is this here? What disk is this on? Where does that go? Who do I have to call? Where's the driver for this? Where's the driver for that? So on a larger scale, you know, in an entire IT shop, I mean, that just seems, again, 
overwhelming. Yeah, it, it is, unless you build it into the day-to-day management practices. Right. So this is where the next step is, right? Right. So you go from a project mentality to you, 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 you clue it into your release and change strategy and your configuration strategy where you say, listen, all right, this new release is coming down the pipe or this new change is being introduced. And before I can close that change record, between that status of completed change versus closed change, I make sure a lot of housekeeping items get done. And I'll verify, hey, did we update the technical capability for recovery? Did we update the procedures? Well, you know, did we update the configuration management database? So I literally have to drive the thinking process of, you know, make sure we we take care of our P's and Q's, dot our I's, cross our T's. Change management helps me to remember to do the house cleaning. Otherwise, literally, I can be months, and before I realize it, a, you know, a flood has happened, like we just had recently, and I haven't done my housekeeping, and I'm caught with my uh, my knickers down. Right, so this is not a good thing. Well, I mean, you've got me really thinking about this idea of disaster and continuity management. I mean, when it comes right down to it, I mean, a business that doesn't practice or doesn't have good continuity management processes tied to the rest of their work. I mean, that's the difference between complete failure and going out of business or staying afloat well, yeah. and, and, and recovering. And you can't put a price tag on that sort of thing. But it's also hard to to make a you know a business case for yeah. unless you simply say, you know, all or nothing. The reality is we have to do we do have to do that house maintenance type of activity because literally as you said, there is no business potentially if this system is not capable of falling over. The cha- the challenge is moving it from project mode into management mode. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's dependencies there, right? You actually have to have a change management and release process to actually clue that into. So in, in this case, I'm always afraid to put ITIL in order because I get in trouble. But in my mind, I always I do anyway. I just don't say it out loud. Um, so in this case, it is probably a, you know maybe may a good practice to yeah. have considered change and release before you. It's a dependency. Start looking. It, it absolutely is. Well, okay. So you're saying this? Uh, we can go in order now. Well, and you asked the question, what's a disaster recovery plan? The disaster recovery plan, is that actual plan I pull out when someone actually has said, okay, this incident has now grown up, unfortunately, to become a crisis. I call a crisis. They pull out the document that's hopefully not, you know, in the place where they're having the crisis only. And they start running (laughs) through the plan, right? So-and-so needs to move there. We need to go this this direction with this uh, transition task. We have to go and literally go down the plan and make the calls and and make the actions happen. That's the DR plan. That's one of the key artifacts, but it's not the full process. It's just the thing I pull out and hopefully is up to date uh, when I actually have to run the plan. That's like the playbook of a, of a game. You, you could have a one, two, or a week-long series of conversations just on this topic, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, this is a key management discipline that, by the way, the stakeholders of the organization believe that we are taking care of. <laughs> and we promise them we have a, we, well, that data center over there, that's our DR environment. Well, how yeah. up to date, really? You, you promised me it's there, but how true is your capability of falling over to it? Okay, so t- time for a little Christory. Uh, another, you, 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 you like my little stories, don't you? I like Find your stories. Out. Okay, so 9-11 and uh, 2001, I'm actually at the FAA in Washington, D.C., putting in their service desk. And there's a, an, an alert that goes off. And all of a sudden, I see people reaching for these dusty shelves above their desks and pulling down manuals. And they were looking up that specific alert because they'd never heard it, 
right? And I'm thinking, well, what is going on? Why are you not saying to the guy what's going on? Because we have to look this up. We've never heard this one, right? And I guess they have lots of different types of alerts to alert everybody that something has happened or gone wrong. In, in, with, and with the FAA, you know, the, you know, keeping the airlines going is, you know, not critical. It's pretty critical, right? Uh, and it turned out the code was to bring down the domestic fleet. And this is the first time they'd ever done it. They'd never been told, you need to bring down every flying object in the air. You need to bring it down and make it land right now. And But they had taken time and they'd written it down. Was I witnessing some type of disaster recovery at that moment? You absolutely were. They pulled their plan down and then they probably had a series of steps they had to follow to actually execute on it. Wow. I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but okay, wow. Because who remembers, you know, in the time of crisis, especially when things are tense, what the checklist is. You need checklists. And that's why, that's why you know, pilots have to do their checklist because of the critical nature of the tasks they're, they're doing. Right. Wow. That's amazing. So, again, also when I think about, you know, disaster recovery, the government, or at least the U.S. government, seems, you know, we always hear these stories that they have underground, you know, co-located places that they're going to hide all the members of our government and facilities (laughs) and everything. Obviously, they've got lots of money to do this sort of thing. Is there an economical way to do DR or continuity management? (laughs) Or you should never put those two phrases together. No, there is. It all has to come back to risk again. Right. Um, Right. Let me walk you through a a concept or a thought process. Right. So one of the key elements of IT service continuity is called a BIA, business impact analysis. You ever heard the term BIA? Yes. I, not the acronym, but now that you've said that, I know that. Okay, so here's the, here's how it goes. I sit down as a supplier with my, my customer at the business, and I literally say, okay, here are all the key services out the catalog, as you described earlier. Uh, otherwise, I'm just talking technology, not outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, what level of, which ones are critical? And of course, what's their answer off the gate, right? Of course, they're all critical. All of them, yeah. Are you sure? Yes, every single one of them. Business critical. Okay, I'll go away and I'll come up with a plan for what that looks like in cost. They come back and they have this multi-billion dollar thing. <laughs> they say, what the? And they say, no way. And then you think, okay, which ones are critical? You literally go through this cycle with them two or three times until they finally, finally have said, okay, these five are top and these are medium and these are, these are less. And so you can then start having risk conversations about how much we're going to spend on the capability relative to that BIA discussion. Okay. Then you go out based on this agreement now, this BIA classification structure, and you say, okay, let's build the capability and the appropriate fit-for-purpose level of recovery documentation. And so we now have got all of this thing built relative to the agreement on financing and investment, to your point a moment ago. Now, I go live with this capability, but I make sure it's tuned into my release change and config strategy so I keep it up to date. Now, because I got a test, I, I can't test everything. I, I offered way no. too many things to test them all at once. I have to do this iteratively, almost you know, once a quarter. I'm doing some kind of testing on one part of my catalog. So I, I do the test, usually in a non-production environment, in the DR environment. Right. I validate the test, and obviously it's going to have sometimes going to have challenges. So I bring the results of my test back to my clientele. I said, here's the stuff we did really good at. Here's the stuff we need um, more investment in. And in that conversation, they say, you know, since we talked last... Well, these things we thought were business critical, these are less so, and then these things we said were not, they're now business critical, and you've had these new three things been added to the mix, and so you go through that whole evolution of how much is enough, how much is enough investment, and you go through it again. So you're and you got somebody taking this input all the time and managing the testing. And you know, the disaster recovery component is the transactional piece that you're you're testing as well as the system recovery. That plan as well is being tested. 
So you got this circle of life happening all the time. Yeah, I, I have to be honest with you. It feels like a moving target hearing you explain it. But I know it's not, but it feels like it. Well, it's because life, life changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always bring me back to that life thing, Troy. Life, life is life. Life happens. Life happens. Stuff happens. Wow. So I like the idea of the uh, the the impact analysis. Uh, it, it's getting close to the top of the show, but where does that is that part of continuity management? Where's because I swear I've done impact analysis in other parts of different processes. Well, it does. Think about that business classification structure. Yeah, there you go. That's where it was. <laughs> now, what do we do in incident problem and change for prioritization? Right. right. We say. These things are really, really important. These things are less important. We have to move quickly from a service level on these. We have we get a little more latitude on these. So the BIA conversation ha- should have a direct input into your prioritization or severity model for your support processes. Because your business has told you what they value based on how much money they want to spend. Why wouldn't you tune that into your sense of value? Troy, where was this podcast when I was trying to figure all this out? On my, on my own. You're just amazing. Hey, Troy, it's been a month, but... You know what time it is, don't you? It's that time. It's time for Troy's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day! (laughs) Okay, remember, Chris, that IT service continuity is a process, not a project, task, or a checklist item, and you need to treat it that way to your potential peril if you do not. And perilous, you never are always a joy. You you are. Uh, Hey, this is Chris Hansi with Practitioner Radio, and I'm here with Troy. Dumoulin? Dumoulin. <laughs> That's so me. Much. I'm Troy, Troy Dumoulin. We, we, we got to practice, Troy. We got to get this on our drive. All right. We will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Troy. Appreciate it. Take care. <laughs>